So if it isn't self-evident that I'm from the outside of this country, let me just say I am an American studying the <laughs> British public health program. But this particular program caught my eye from the distance, namely because of the role that the Ad Council in the US plays a role, and a very important role in creating an aesthetic for public health, social media, and um, in which programs latch themselves to interpret actual public health works from. So I'm going to look at more of the theoretical at first about what social marketing really is all about. Then we're going to dive into some of the semiotics of this particular campaign and really ask questions about what it means to identify with these figures, what it means to have humanoid figures, androcentric figures, and then look at public health practices as symbolic of a translation of the ideals brought up in the imagery of this world and um, how we can reconcile with what we see in the field as public health work as a realization of change for life in the real world. So just to start with, social marketing as a basic definition delivers a product and this product necessarily is something ephemeral. It's about ideas, it's intangible. This is in stark comparison to even things like perfume which is manifest in bottles, but the ideas conjured in perfume ads, for example, are very much the same types of techniques used often in social marketing. In this particular case, by virtue of um, a very important corporate uh, partner with the Department of Health having created the actual imagery of it, uh, those same techniques used in corporate marketing can be seen in this particular campaign. So the idea is that there are no commercial, there's no commercial value per se within the images that you see, although the staggering price tag associated with it, I mean, it started off as a 36 million pound endeavor um, and amounted to a lot of these images that we're gonna take a look at. And it's supposed to be, it's supposed to inspire a social movement. So this is going back to the Healthy Lives white paper that um, instigated this type of programming. And, I contend that it's a matter of moral recalibration as far as uh, social marketing is concerned. So it's really about changing individuals' views individ and turning, in this case, public health into an individual process, individual duty, if not a civic duty, which is an interesting shift of responsibility away from governmental structures. So population behavior changes at the heart of the conventional definition of what social marketing is all about. The idea is to get people to do healthy things. And it's under the guise of social nudge that this, this behavior change is supposed to manifest itself. So the conventional definition, if you looked at any social marketing textbook, would state that social marketing is the use of marketing principles and techniques to influence a target audience to voluntarily accept reject, modify, or abandon a behavior for the benefit of individuals, groups, or society as a whole. Similar to the commercial sector marketers who sell goods and services, social marketers are selling behavior change. Again, going back to this idea of the ephemeral, the, the, the immaterial that is being sold. So about, I'm going to see if this works, I'm going to play for you an advert that captures the spirit of what change for life is. Big brown button. It could be hard. It could be fun. Find out how you can change for life. Search online for change for life. Is that a famous actor or just the commentary? It's just the commentary. 
Yeah, about the commentary, is it a, is this the voiceover by famous? Oh, um, it, I, I don't think it's anyone famous, but they, they're definitely hearkening on those social cues that suggest that it is an important thing. So the voice is recognizable because it, it shares that aesthetic mm. that you would expect from a car commercial, from a subway commercial, basically anything enticing. Ray Winston, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's ex exactly the type of yeah. person that is supposed to be conjured. So someone you, you, you recognize. So even the images, you may have only seen them once before, for example, but they automatically look familiar. And this has everything to do with its association with pop culture, the role of, for example, the 90s. There, there was a very important um, artist, named Harding, who uses this type of imagery for, for example, HIV campaigns. And very much so, it's conjuring this recognizable association between health, imagery, and then trying, in turn, making demand for the audience to do that moral work, to find themselves in this imagined, simulated reality. So, um, as you saw, the environment was quite a vilified space, and it is owed to modernity and what modernity provided for mankind, that we have these characterized places called Saltibut, Shurishak, and Krispy that has a, 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 an affinity for, for all intents and purposes, the, the, the ignorant person in society. So the person who is unintervened is one with an attraction to this. And we saw a romanticized version of human reality including dinosaurs and mastodons, where, where the, the lifestyle was characterized as much more active. And therefore, as active as this person is in this environment, it's for the wrong purposes. It's to get to these unhealthy things that come from modernity. So the big question is, how can this environment be reckoned with to inspire people to make the better choice within an otherwise bad situation. And this is where change for life comes in, I believe. Um, at face value, we saw very well that people within the campaign have contorted themselves to encapsulate what the, the, the program is supposed to stand for. So at face value, the slogan includes eat well, move more, and live longer. And underneath each of these are sub-brands that are associated with these particular messages. And there, there are an infinity of these. So there's no limit to what types of Change for Life-inspired programs there are in England, namely because this is driven by local health authorities, and, and given the, the specter of localism, it's very much a matter of calibrating this generic open signifier that we know as Change for Life into something more context-specific more relevant for people living in the area that I do my research for. So let's look at, at the people within the logo. The, this is straight from the strategy document describing this particular campaign. So the people used in the campaign are specifically for the reasons of conjuring of an association between what you see, these human organic centric beings, with humanity. And it's supposed to inspire your confidence that you can identify with these images. And um, here's a basic depiction of a family using the same visual language. It comes straight out of the campaign. And you would notice that 
race doesn't seem to have an issue here. Gender doesn't really necessarily have an issue. Is mom the little pink thing, or is mom the big orange thing? There's no possible way to identify with what is literally being depicted unless you put your moral work into it. So the question is, how does moral work come into play? So Change for Life saturates, tries to saturate at least, the built environment with its message. And here we see a phone booth um, <coughs> uh, recommending people to sign up for free dance lessons. And that is supposed to be an entree into a more healthy lifestyle. So these dance lessons are supposed to get you inspired to like the dance lessons. And in turn, these dance lessons are supposed to revolutionize the way that you use your free time. But then the question becomes, who can realize these types of realities? Um, and what is required to mobilize someone to become this powered-up robot that, is that this ad is asking for you to become? And straight out of one of the campaigns, the reality of where health information comes is in the form of a bird. And, and this is supposed to signify all of these different places where you might encounter healthy information. So if it hasn't been apparent, the Change for Life campaign is very much not talking about anything new. Everyone knows about what it takes to be healthy. But it's just reminding the audience. So beneath the campaign, I argue that there is this ideal of common good, a general will, a shared public life that leads to pressures for a homogenous citizenry. So we could see this in this very generic depiction of the people described in this campaign. Um, and this value comes across as something quite nefarious, I feel. I feel that the people depicted represent not only this vision of a homogenous citizenry, but also the, the the archetypal good citizen, the person who, who really takes to heart their civic duty to be healthy for the sake of a healthier nation. So individual health necessarily connects with this greater good, this society that is supposed to be progressive, and exactly what um, white papers such as Healthy Lives is supposed to demonstrate. Um, now we have to anticipate what it means for someone who cannot identify with this imagery and argue that the people who cannot see themselves doing the things that are depicted are very much the archetypal, the marginalized people of society. They do not exist even in visual form. No matter how hard you put your imagination to it, they cannot be associated with it. And the question is, can you morally find yourself finding a way, no matter how hard it takes, to connect yourself with it? So people without social capital are very much in the dark in this respect. Enter local health authorities, and they're supposed to provide the contexts in which this simulated reality is supposed to translate into actual reality. So some of the guiding questions behind this type of investigation would be, what is the relationship between social marketing and public health practice? So social marketing, by definition, focuses on this idea of behavior change. I reckon that that is a myopic view that misses the point about what the ideals behind those um, behavior changes manifest themselves as perhaps political issues, um, moral issues, um, and many other constructs. How do the semiotics of social marketing materials relate to the activities of public health workforce? So here I'm calling for a focus on the people who do public health 
as a center focus rather than concentrating on this conceptual social marketing, which is often done in the field uh, of public health, to regard social marketing as a noun, but in fact it is, it is emphatically a verb, it's an action. So looking at the actions and looking and considering how those actions manifest the ideals behind um, what social marketing is supposed to stand for. And then looking at what work in the context of social marketing for public health institutions means. So by work, um, I mean something that um, it, that is an activity backed by a predetermined purpose. So for the sake of um, changing health behaviors, it may very well be that the purpose behind the work of running a local change for health, change for life program may be to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables in food deserts, for example. So that may be one of the purposes, but behind it, looking at the, the social world lived by the, the public health worker, it may also include asserting a particular worth within the greater infrastructure, maintaining the usefulness of that particular department in the context of massive um, reductions in the size and shape of the bureaucratic public health system. So, I'm very much an ethnographer. I'm looking at this program as a, a social phenomenon and looking at the, the actions and the physical materials and how they relate to one another and drawing these into the context of, of asking what does work really mean and looking at work as a way to understand this relationship between ideals and the translation of these ideals into public health practice. So I looked at three um, programs for the past um, couple of years. And I'm going to focus on Walk for Life for this particular talk. And this program is interesting in that here's a, a snapshot from a, an app, a phone app, smartphone app, that is supposed to, it basically does the same thing as what a Google Maps does, but it's supposed to frame your experience of walking as a matter of change for life. So you're it's a very interesting environment imagined for people to walk in as well. Now, um, the question really is whether or not the use of these deliberately open signifiers is a useful way for local health authorities to capture um, moments in, in time where there is this political pressure to reduce the rate of obesity in the country and to see how um, evidence-based approaches are supposed to contribute to this reduction of obesity. A fundamental problem with social marketing is that because of its environmental, um, ecological circumstance, there is no way to associate a social marketing with a causal outcome as far as health is concerned, especially with respect to change for life. The messages that it promotes are not novel at all. So. It, Changes in fruit and vegetable consumptions may be as artificial as people responding to the five-day message rather than a change for life message. And that distinction just can't be held. So this problematizes this whole idea of what outcomes-based approaches are and what evidence is in support of public health practice. The City Walk for Life program is one example of the Walk for Life program I'm going to focus on and compare with another one. This one is regarded as the urban example. 
and it's run by, um, for all intents and purposes, the, the Strategic Health Authority in a particular part in England. And the Strategic Health Authority may be, for simplicity's sake, may be regarded as a bureaucratic authority over all the other small local health authorities that may um, be working within the same region. So a region is regarded as the largest aggregate space for the Department of Health to work within under the guise of localism. So embedded within regions would be city councils, county councils, and so on and so forth, each with their own respective public health um, programs to work within. So the, the City Walk for Life program is unique in that it is a one-day event. It took a while to compile this one-day event because it, it includes lots of um, corporate uh, corporate co-sponsors as well as NGOs that are trying to, to associate their brands with the Change for Life branding. And there, there's a lot of um, televised media coverage associated with this. So this is a, an in-kind service provided by one of the corporate sponsors. Um, it, it uses those old strategies of having minor celebrities like MPs come in and say, let's go for a walk on TV, and that's supposed to mean something. So, uh, and as well, there, the, the provision of freebies is very much um, one of the mechanisms that are supposed to attract the people into um, participating in this event. And as part of the branding, everyone in the campaign wears the Walk for Life t-shirt, which is interesting because um, the MP involved with this particular program refused to wear the t-shirt and chose to stay his ground um, despite uh, everyone else wearing it. So who, who knows what that is all about. However, one important thing about the City Walk for Life program is that it was very expensive. It included a lot of sponsorship. And though the sponsorship may not necessarily manifest itself in the form of a, of a, a currency symbol, it is necessarily a very resource-intensive effort that draws a lot of, of uh, different people all together. However, it was poorly attended on the day of this event, it rained. Um, and there was also a university alumni event in the same city. And unfortunately, the people running the program weren't aware of this being a conflict. And then uh, what ended up happening was that they started recruiting tourists who were just within the physical environment of the, the, the Walk for Life tent to, to create a critical mass, to have a walk led by the MPs so that they can broadcast. So that was quite interesting. So a lot of hard work, air quotes here, were put into making this event happen. And the question really becomes, why put all this effort into creating something that really, at the heart of it, is empty? It, this program is wrapped around this idea of nothing, basically. Because if you don't put work into it yourselves, it is a nothing. It is just colors and lines and such. But this is the type of work that the Strategic Health Authority felt was appropriate for creating that context. So bear that in mind. And this is in stark comparison to a rural example of the Walk for Life program. I shall call it the Hamlet Walk for Life program. And it is run in comparison um, to the City Walk for Life program by a primary care trust. 
and this is very much a, a, an organization within the public health infrastructure for intents and purposes of this talk as a, a, a bureaucratic subordinate of the Strategic Health Authority. And as a subordinate organization, the idea is that the great, the bigger ideas about what is relevant for <coughs> an entire region is in turn translated to a more community-specific focus through the work of primary care trusts. So in that sense, PCTs are very much socially closer to the communities that they work with. And um, this was manifest in a very marked difference between how this program was approached versus the cities. So this program, on the flip side, did not include the role of a public health worker, a formal one from the public health institution, to actually run and design the program. Instead, they depended on a core of volunteers. And very much so, the volunteers are community leaders, and people who are very well connected with the villages that they are in and live in, and they have lived there for countless generations, it seems. And they, rec they don't call this program, this Hamlet Walk for Life program, Walk for Life at all. They, in fact, they call it the Pub Walk. They've reclaimed this Walk for Life as something that is not associated with this government program, even though marginally it is associated to the Walk for Life programming by virtue of the tiny brand existing on the corner of posters somewhere. But the lived experience of this Hamlet Walk for Life program is completely void of Walk for Life imagery or Change for Life imagery. So very much this association between the brand and this activity is lost in this example. And the volunteers have quite large circles of friends that, um, that, that uh, feed into this particular program. So everyone on these walks, they, they've been friends with each other um, for a very long time. And so it really collapses this distinction between what is a social activity and what is a healthy activity. So Walk for Life is necessarily something that they use as a platform to socialize with people. And, and, and the pub walk name really conjures that idea that it isn't really for the purpose of being healthy that drives them to do this. But yet they are mobilized. So they are, in a sense, living the reality of what Walk for Life stands for. Were they walking already? They were already walking. <coughs> but they, before, yeah. they were already walking under the guise of a different community program that was called Healthy Ones. And, and the claim of ownership of this Walk for Life program is a very interesting one. Um, and that has to do with the fact that there is a very small nugget of funding associated with creating these volunteer groups. And so the role in that case of the PCT is to create um, smaller social gatherings for a, a task force, if you will to come together, there might be coffee and, and donuts and stuff like that. But, but really, it, it's a paltry sum of, of public funding going into this. Um, however, ownership of this program by the primary care trust is manifest, as I will say later, in the work that they did not put into it. And that, I, think, I feel, is an important aspect of work that is often overlooked. Inactivity as work, inactivity as a form of control over this particular interpretation of uh, 
of brand is what is at stake here. Um, so these, these volunteers, they walk every week throughout the year, even when they are canceled walks. So this is as far as, again, the primary care trust would come into play. If weather conditions are, are poor, they would cancel the walks out of um, concern for the safety of the participants. And bear in mind, oh sorry, I didn't mention this before, but the participants are, are all in retirement age, at the very least. So um, a lot of them do have uh, canes with them, and mobility issues are very much a problem, if you will, um, experienced by the people uh, in the Hamlet Flow program. However, that doesn't stop them from, from going on these walks, despite them being cancelled. Because, because that power of socializing is, is so much more interesting and so much more um, uh, meaningful for the people than it is to just be healthy. So, um, going back to uh, the absence of branding, the, the contrast here is that despite the absence of Change for Life branding and Walk for Life branding, it is hugely attended, and regularly so. Um, the only limitation in that case about its sustainability, however, is that the people in the leadership are aging, and they're not making new friends, per se. And so the question of how successful this successful example of Walk for Life is comes into question. However, I feel that there are important aspects to this that we can draw from that might feed into future public health works related to social marketing. So, um, going back to this idea of work, let's look at what work is in the context of city walk for life. So, I, I feel that this idea of keeping up with appearances is at the heart of what the city walk for life program is all about. And what I mean by this is the, the gesture to make clear to the public that this ad is in fact not about anything else but your association with the meaning behind the messages that it promotes. So in a way, keeping up with appearances has everything to do with guiding how a public interprets the information that they receive and the work put into it. So even pulling tourists off of the street, getting minor celebrities to be a part of the walk, of the City Walk for Life program, is a matter of maintaining this understanding for a public and doing the interpretation for, if you will, to understand this as something that they can relate to and is all about physical activity. Um, and of course, accountability comes into play because of all the co-sponsors being involved, they can't just blow it off. They have to do something, and work in and of itself becomes something that is being done as a result because there doesn't seem to be a purpose guiding some of the activities beyond having to do something. That work in and of itself becomes a value that is largely underplayed in this whole idea of social marketing. Um, so I would argue also that part of this work of the City Life City Walk for Life program has a lot to do with the formal institutions involved with running and designing this program. Very much so, the reason why the primary care trusts were left out of the planning phase, for example, had a lot to do with maintaining a power dynamic between the, the, the hierarchical um, authority versus the subordinate. And in this particular case, despite the fact that 
people from the primary care trust knew about the alumni event, for example, knew what it takes to advertise effectively in the city. And the fact that they were deliberately excluded from the design of the program suggests that the priority of getting a culturally sensitive program really was not as much at the heart of this program as it would suggest from its appearance. So going back to this whole idea of keeping up with appearances as work as well. Um, and it very much has a very top-down flavor to it, so it's very imposing. Let me do the interpretation on your behalf, and this is how you, the people of the city, should understand this program to be. Whereas in, in the Hamlet example, we see a complete collapse in the social distance um, that separates the strategic health authority from the population. Um, the, to the point where we're almost asking for a bottom-up type of request. So this is very much takes on the grassroots approach of what it means to organize a community to do something. And if that something corresponds with being a healthy activity, then all the more reason to support these types of activities and to, and to claim ownership um, of this particular work. And in this particular case, the, the art of interpretation was left to the public to do. This wasn't something that the primary care trust felt it was their domain to do. And in a way, knowing the boundaries of where work needs to be drawn comes into play as a very effective public health strategy development tool. Um, and in this case, though, we can see that the primary care trust in actuality didn't really do much in terms of the design and implementation of this community work program. The participation and the high rate of participation and the meaningfulness of this program manifests itself as an example of how this non-work led to. So that's a very interesting observation. So again, that's a approach. So um, to conclude things, I want to emphasize that social marketing is not entirely about changing health behaviors. As we see in this very brief example, ideas of who is a good citizen comes up. Ideas of what the role of a government should be in translating public health ideals into actual practices come into play. There's a huge moral dimension associated with this whole idea of social marketing that is limited if you just focus on what it is as far as changing health behaviors is concerned. Um, work is a useful focal point to understand the relationship between social marketing and public health. So rather than emphasizing an, a perspective on health outcomes per se, we can look at the process that leads to the precipitation of a walk that is well attended as a way to understand how public health works are designed and how effective they are. So effectiveness in this case challenges the assumption of it being a quantitative construct. And then the City Walk for Life program um, is very much a program that tries to do work for people. And in a way I find it unproductive, infantilizing, and dehumanizing as the images from the campaign really, for me, capture. I find this whole idea that I am someone caricaturized as a mindless idiot living in modernity, being attracted to salty 
group is something that I can't identify with. And the assumption that that is who I am and that I can identify myself with that imagery, I think, is hugely um, dehumanizing. And the Hamlet walkway, on the other hand, is it captures the, the power of what it means to stop doing work and how actually this whole doing work for the sake of doing work is, is something that social marketing can reject. And despite there being no clarity on what best practices are for social marketing, uh, the Hamlet Walk for Life program really crystallizes some of the, the, the best practices, I feel, and it, it really warrants dissection, if you will, just to parse out what those good ideas are all about, and giving a public the space to find their place within a particular <coughs> social marketing campaign, and allowing them to disregard the images or to fill it with a community context is something that I feel that the local health authorities must necessarily be more aware of as what they're doing in terms of public health.